This is AmericasWebRadio.com, the best in chat radio designed just for you. You're listening to America's Web Radio. And now time for the Classic Car Show with Steve Ronaldo and Jim Weber. Hi, this is Kevin Flood on America's Web Radio, the Classic Car Show. Today's guest is Chris Gunby, who's the chairman of the Triumph Sports 6 Club known as TSSC here in the UK. The club mantra is, do more with your triumph. Chris has been with the club for over 25 years. Good afternoon, Chris. Good afternoon, Kevin. Um, Can you tell us a little bit about yourself and how you ended up being the chairman of the TSSC? Really, I didn't say no fast enough. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Well, I've been in the Triumph Club since uh, 1988. Uh... 17-year-old lad, bought my first Triumph Herald, fell in love, and did the right thing and joined the club. Um, It's been part of my life, really, ever since. Uh, About 16 years ago, I decided it was time to make a difference and join the council of management, uh, which I've sat on for the next 14 years. Then I had a two-year break, because things were uh, getting rather busy at work, so I thought I'd drop out for a couple of years and came back on board near enough two years ago and... uh, the time was right, the chairman's post was there, and I got asked to be it. It's great to be requ- to be asked to do it, I think, is the, is the great thing about it. No, I was going to say, I, I, I do see it as an honour, really. It's uh, a, a, a lot more work than I think anybody thinks it's going to be, uh, but it is a truly enjoyable job, and you do feel that you make a difference. What does it entail being the chairman? How long you got? No, oh, long. <laughs> we've got, we got four 13-minute segments. <laughs> OK, no worries. <laughs> Uh, So being the chairman, really, obviously I chair the board meetings, so we have five meetings a year. They're normally an all-day event on a Sunday. I chair the AGM once a year in April, and then really it's the day-to-day running of our head office, making decisions that the staff don't want to make, really. They pass it on to the next person up in the line, and that happens to be me sitting at the top. Is, is it your full-time job now, or do you have your own other job as well? Oh, no, it's not. No, it's an unpaid role. It's yep. not my full-time job. It just feels like it. Yeah, it's a little bit like this as well. This is unpaid as well. I do this for the <laughs> love of the hobby, really. It's, it's great. Tell us a little bit about your history with uh, classic cars as well. Starting as a 14-year-old, my grandma's next-door neighbour had a Triumph Herald that he'd had from new and uh, told me when I was 14 that when I was 17 and I could start to drive he would give it to me because he'd be ready to give up driving so that sort of set the seed of a free car really didn't really know what a Triumph Herald was at the time but you start researching and about six eight weeks before I was 17 somebody stopped him in the street and uh, offered him a lot of money for it I came home from school one day and there he was sitting in the kitchen with my parents and said, I'm ever so sorry, but I'm going to have to sell the car because I thought it was worth a few hundred quid and I've been offered quite a lot of money for it. Ooh, which devastating. I, I completely <laughs> understand because he was just a normal working class guy. Yeah. But the next thing that happened was the most amazing thing. He uh, gave me £500 from the sale because that's Ooh. what he thought the car was worth, yeah. which was really generous. So at the end of the day, he was only my... Uh, grandma's next door neighbour mm. so with that money and the rest I got you know I'd already set my heart on a herald by then so I went out and bought one mm. and uh, that was 
two years worth of driving around and then I discovered the next best thing the Triumph Vitesse yeah. the Herald but the go faster version and if you could just um, for our listeners in the States um, I believe it was it called the Speed 6 in the States it was called the Sports 6 6 which is where the name, name of the club or, came from. Yeah, I kind of guessed a little bit. That's actually really good. That's a really good play on words for the club name. Absolutely. Um, so I bought myself a Mark II two-litre Triumph Vitesse. Absolutely beautiful. Fell in love with it. Had it for about eight weeks and had to sell it because I just couldn't afford to run it because it was drinking fuel like there was no tomorrow. And as an apprentice, we weren't earning a lot of money in those days. Oh, me too. Oh, I was an apprentice motor mechanic years ago. Compared to a Herald, um, a Vitesse uses quite a lot more fuel. Yeah, it does. So I then bought my favourite Herald, really, which was a Herald Coupe. And I've had one ever since. Um, also, ticking along in the background, the first sort of triumph I ever went in knowingly was my parents' neighbours had a brand new Triumph Acclaim in 1983 and uh, they used to take me to school in it and uh, I'm very lucky I now own that car. Oh, what, the same, very same one? The very same one, wow. absolutely. So I've known it from the day it was registered day and we've, we've had some good fun in it over the years. It just shows you, actually, I mean, with nearly all of these interviews that I do, the nostalgia aspect is is really key yeah. to um, people in the hobby, I think. They want something that they felt good in that particular car or around that particular time, and, and that's a prime example of it there. What other Triumphs have you had, other than the, uh, the Heralds and the Vitesse? Well, I'm sure a lot of your American listeners have very big collections, because... I'm hoping they've got lots of barns filled full of cars, but I'm, I'm a very lucky boy. I've got quite a few cars. I've, I've got a list I wrote this morning, and I'm, I can't believe how many cars I've actually got when I go down it. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, do you want me to start at the bottom? Yeah, go on. Off you go. <laughs> so these, these are all currently owned. Right. Um, and all but one are currently on the road as well, which is even more impressive. So, um, we're starting at the beginning. I've got a, a 1959... Very, very early 948 Herald Saloon, which is number plate JDX884. Now, to anybody that knows anything to do with the Triumph Sports 6 Club, this is quite a special car. The club was set up in 1977, and this car was donated by its original owner to the club to be used as promotional vehicle. And it was rebuilt by some members, and it was our promotion car for quite a few years. But as the club got bigger and better... Um, we bought more cars and the museum opened and whatever and poor old JDX got put to the back of you so I got it out of storage about 10 ago and I'm, I'm the custodian at the moment of it so that's the third oldest Herald in existence wow. and the oldest one on the road at the moment well, that's the worst. if you think that's a really special car isn't it that really absolutely. is absolutely absolutely wow. Um, then we move on to a 1959 smooth roof Terrell Coupe, which is the oldest one on the road. Um, we don't know. There's one pre-production Herald Coupe that we know that's earlier. But apart from that, this is uh, just a lovely car. 48,000 miles from new. And uh, I waited about 20 years to get hold of this one. Uh, then we move on to a 1960 Triumph Herald S, which... Uh, for people that don't know, was the model that they used when they stopped making the 948 and moved on to the 1200 engine. They did a, a simplicity model, oh, which was slightly cheaper and was very, very basic. Oh, I've got a 1200. Uh, 
it's my wife's actually and yeah. I, i'd never heard of that s before mine's a mine's a 1966 1200 right so that's probably yeah. the yeah in between the 948 and the one i've got i guess yeah well the 948 was built 59 to 61 and the 1200 came out in 62 so most 948 s's were i mean they didn't make many but <laughs> it's just unbelievable there's no heater no carpet they've got rubber mats in them uh oh, wow. no trim they're very very basic oh, i've never seen one of those that's and interesting the, the way that you can notice it from the outside is it's got it's got a same van uh, grill as a triumph herald courier van Ah, I saw plenty of those in my days of MOT testing. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Rotting away. Oh, yeah. <laughs> but the Herald, the S is quite a special car. It's only done 8,000 miles from new. But that's the one that isn't on the road because it's just too special to take out, really. From yeah, the uh, yeah I would imagine that's got um, all sorts of priceless type tags on it, that yeah. one. And uh, it's probably, we don't know, but it's probably the best one in existence, I should think. Because uh, there's hardly any S's around anyway. They're a very, very rare beast. Well, I'm, I'm a bit of a kind of know-all and stuff and hang around car shows and stuff like that, and that's worth the call now, that, because I've never <laughs> heard of one of those. <laughs> so, oh, it gets better in a minute. <laughs> right, then we move on to my pride and joy, my 1962 Herald Courier Van. Now, this car's quite a special car to me, and it's got an amazing story. It was originally a, a factory hack so it's got a nice coventry number plate on it which is 1678 vc which is what all the works vehicles used to have on them and this car was owned by a triumph enthusiast of long standing but in 1988 i went to a triumph meeting and saw my first ever courier van that had just come out of restoration and uh, i took some photographs of it and thought to myself one day i'm gonna have a van better than that fast forward 20 odd years and i managed to purchase 1678 VC, uh, which was in a bit of a state at the time, and there's only one guy that I would trust with a restoration like that. He's a guy called Paul Cull, who runs Triumph Auto Classic down in Swindon, and uh, I loaded my van up on the trailer, put my pictures from 20-odd years ago down into the back of the car, and we trundled off down to Swindon, and when we pulled up at the garage, the guy that built the car 20 years ago was working for Paul. So when I got my pictures out and said, I want it to be better than this, he was the guy that did it, and his name was Sean Ogden. Um, and uh, they did an amazing job. Absolutely won everything at concourse level, even up to masterclass. It's an incredible car. But uh, sadly, three months after they finished the car, poor old Sean dropped dead. So that is a real, you know, sort of special car to me, really, because to know that he's worked on it means so much. Yeah, that's yeah, it's sad, and it, it, it's kind of very a very sort of melancholy ending to it, really, isn't it? Absolutely. Well, yeah. we're all going to go at some point, aren't we? Yeah, he went exactly. far too soon. Far too soon. Right. Now, here's one you've probably never heard of. The Triumph Herald Hatchback, 1965. No, that's another one. That's another new one on me. <laughs> <laughs> so, this is definitely worth a Google. Triumph Herald Hatchback is the only one ever built. It was built on a standard 1200 saloon. It was um, taken off the line, driven down to Michelotti's studio in Turin, and they hand-built a roof 
on it. The, it's actually called a styling mule rather than a prototype, um, and it's actually asymmetric. I've just pulled it up. Yeah. That's very impressive. I like yeah, that. The blue one. Now, that took well over 20 years to find, and uh, it actually cost me six bottles of wine. That's so how bad it was. <laughs> yeah, but I was, I was very lucky. The guy who had it um, had done his homework and knew that I was a heraldaholic and uh, told me I was the guy to do it, so I had to uh, prove that I was the right man, and uh, we finished that for the Herald's 50th in 2009. Brilliant. Again, there's another one I've never seen before, so yeah, it's definitely worthwhile. Is that you unveiling it there, is it? It is, yes. With yeah. Mark from Jigsaw Racing in Corby, who did the restoration. Why did they never pursue it, do you think? Was it? Well, in 1965, Triumph decided that hatchbacks weren't the way forward. <laughs> oh, <no>. Which, <laughs> as we all know... <laughs> so, another tale of a great British idea that was never followed up. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. 1968, the Renault 16 came out and changed the world. Yeah, it is. That was the first proper hatchback, really. Yeah, it's just such a shame. But also, at the same time, they did a Triumph 2000 hatchback as well, and that's just been discovered again. It's funny how these things disappear, isn't it? And they they sort of pop up again out of nowhere, Absolutely. out of a barn or something Absolutely. like that. And, it, you know, barn finds do exist. <laughs> well, the hatchback that I've got was more of a deep grass find rather than a... Oh, really? It was out yeah. in the field? Um, the guy that owned it knew what it was but didn't have the space to store it properly, oh. so he was lucky enough, clever enough, to take everything off it that was unique and put that away in the garage, but the actual car was just rotting down into the ground. Uh, it was a bit of a sad state, really, but as you can see, it got restored and it looks beautiful. It does. Oh, it does indeed. Is that one you'd use or is that one you, you kind of keep off the road? That is on display at the Triumph Sports Six Club Museum in Lebanon. Cool. When, when we finished your list, we'll have a little chat about the museum. That's, uh, <laughs> okay. That's interesting. Okay, so then we move on to uh, a 1970 Triumph Herald 1360 convertible, which is a beautiful, unrestored, 32,000 miles from new car. But the, the thing that's unique about this vehicle, which is just complete madness, is the roof has never, ever been down from new. We're going to take a break and we'll be right back on the Classic Car Show after these messages. Hi, this is Steve Ronaldo, host of the Classic Car Show on America's Web Radio. Uh, just talking to you about antique car insurance. I think that uh, if you're looking for the best coverage for your classic car, consider J.C. Taylor Insurance. They've been our my insurer for years in this hobby and have the top rating of every, all of the insurance companies in the hobby. When you get ready for insurance, call J.C. Taylor or visit jctaylor.com on the Internet. Affordable health insurance was the promise of Obamacare, but for many, the government mandate caused more problems than it solved. This is Dr. Elena George from Medicine on Call, and I want to tell you about a truly affordable alternative allowed under Obamacare, Liberty HealthShare. Liberty HealthShare bypasses doctor and hospital panels, giving you the freedom to choose. And with a maximum of $500 out-of-pocket per person and 100% coverage up to $1 million per year per occurrence, you can rest assured knowing you and your family are protected. Coverage starts as low as $107 per month and also includes dental, vision, pharmacy, and holistic care. Liberty HealthShare puts you back in charge of your health. Visit them online at libertyoncall.org. Again, for a true affordable alternative to Obamacare, visit libertyoncall.org or call toll-free 1-800-714-6993 today. You're listening to AmericasWebRadio.com, the pioneer and leader in chat radio. Thank you for listening. Welcome back. 
This is Kevin Flood on the Classic Car Show for America's Web Radio, and today's guest is Chris Gunby of the Triumph Sports Six Club. Is that through wanting to keep it as it is, or...? No, well, same again. I mean, the thing I love about any classic car is the history and the story. You know, as you said earlier, that's what intrigues me, really. Um, The guy that bought it went to the motor show in 1959, fell in love with the Herald, and started saving up. And as we know in our lives, kids come along, houses come along, and every time he got some money in the pot, started to disappear, and... He never got any money for his car. Meanwhile, he was riding his bike to work every day. By 1970, he'd finally saved enough money up. 12 years, can you believe? But they'd stopped making them by then. So when he went to the garage to buy one, the only car they could find was a convertible. And because he didn't want a convertible, it was the only Herald he could get, so he bought that one. Interesting. That is a story. So uh, then we go down to a 1965 Triumph Vitesse 1600. Done 19,000 miles from new. That is completely factory spec. And he's still running cross-ply tyres. So that's a, as a survivor, basically. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Stunning. And then we've got a, a 1969 Mark II Vitesse Saloon, which I had to wait about 20 years for. It was at the first ever Triumph meeting I ever went to. I fell in love with it and uh, had to wait for the guy to sell it 20 years down the line. But that's my car that I do a lot of long-distance endurance driving in. OK, what sort of rally-type stuff? Yeah, um, round Britain runs and yeah. uh, continental runs and things like that. It's an absolutely joy to drive. Yeah, they've got that little bit more perk, haven't they, than the Herald, if you are going to go a bit of a distance. And the yeah. gearing's a little bit more sort of motorway-friendly and stuff as well, isn't it? Yeah, absolutely. And we've got a 1965 Mark One Triumph 2000 Saloon, um, which was bought new and went to Guernsey. That's a very low-mileage car, and very interesting gentleman. I bought that off. Wouldn't do the deal on a Sunday. We had to go back on the Monday. Oh, what, from sort of Sabbath reasons? Absolutely. Well, you've I got to have a bit of respect for it, really, haven't you? Absolutely, <laughs> absolutely. Um, but that's, uh, that's a very low-mileage Guernsey car, and that, that comes out on high days and holidays. Then we move on to the Acclaims. So we've got two 1983 Acclaims. One of them is the car that I used to get taken to school in, that I told you about earlier. That's a HLS. And then I've got a, a CD, which is a top-of-the-range one, which I managed to pick up a couple of years ago, which nice low-mileage, one owner from new car. Now, obviously, with the claims, there's a big argument that it's not a Triumph because it's a Honda. But well, I don't know. I mean, it's strange because I have a similar conversation with a friend of mine who's got a, the latest sort of MGTF or yeah. MGF, and same sort of conversation, I guess, really, isn't it? Yeah, absolutely. Well, as, my, as far as I'm concerned, if it leaves the factory with a fat Triumph badge on it, it's a Triumph, isn't it? It is. No, you're right. Um, but we've had some good fun in those. And that's it then. That's really my Triumph selection. Then we start getting a bit newer. We get into my boy racer phase. <laughs> so these are the cars I couldn't afford when I was a teenager. So we've got a, a 1988 uh, Mark II Ford Fiesta XR2. Yeah, yeah well, they're, they're, um, they're becoming a real classic now, those. Absolutely. Yeah. That's a 26,000 mile from new car. in. Silver. I about... spent 13 years working at a Ford dealer. And yep. we were in the PDI bay one day, and the first ever Fiesta that we sold at Gowrings in Reading came in off the lorry. And we were looking like it was something from outer space, because you can imagine we'd gone from Mark II Escorts and the yep. like to Absolutely. a Fiesta. Front-wheel drive, all the rest of it. We were like, oh, my God, what are we yep. going to do with that? <laughs> yeah, so That was a real, I mean, you know, for Ford, that was a complete, you know, going from cart springs and... 
Mackie struts yeah. and stuff like that to the front wheel drives, so oh, that it looked like it had a world, yeah. Fiat yeah, drivetrain in it. I have to say, out of all the cars I own, that is the car that puts the biggest smile on my face. They are fun, aren't they? Because you can yeah. really thrash them around and throw them in you the corners and drive it to know. the limit. It's never going to kill um, you. Not fast enough. You can, and once uh, you um, once you start to um, learn to use the torque steer to your advantage and stuff as well, they are good fun. Absolutely. Those things absolutely uh, really are. And then we've got an Italian beast. We've got a, a 1985 Fiat Strada R-Bath 130TC. They're pretty rare now as well, aren't they? Well, they all rotted away. Yeah, they did indeed. Um, but this is a really nice car. It's been rebuilt. Um, I think my son, he's 16, he's got his eye on that one. I bet yes. <laughs> <laughs> Probably the only car he'd get in out of the whole list, really. Yeah, you'd think so, some of the others, though, you know, it, it, they... He might be surprised at what girl magnets some of the other ones might be as well because they really do look nice now in comparison. When we go out in my wife's Herald now, everybody smiles when you drive on the road. Oh, of course uh, they do. Um, and I've also got a 1929 Model A sports coupe as well, but wow. the Herald is the the one that makes people smile more, I think. I think a lot of people are kind of scared of the other one. <laughs> but, uh, Excellent. Gerald makes people smile, though, for sure. And then we've got a curveball in here, really. He started driving the Acclaim which obviously is a Honda, I started thinking to myself, well, what, what's the best car Honda ever made? Which, in my opinion, is the NSX. Mm. Uh, budget didn't quite stretch to that. But the Mark II Honda Legend was the development car stroke development engine for that sort of thing. So we've got a Honda Legend 1994, which is absolutely stunning. Uh, it's a 3.2 V6. And... Uh, course when you buy the saloon then you realize that they make coupes as well so we've got one of those as well but i'm assuming you've got a barn of some description to keep all these <laughs> absolutely we have a warehouse <laughs> i was gonna say but um, even though i mean even when you're talking about your newer cars there they're still over the 25 years unless I, my math's wrong so they're oh, absolutely classic well, I, still. I only have one daily which is yeah. we're nearly then but the honda is just a joy to drive um, in America, I think they're called Acuras, aren't they? Factory, yeah, they are, definitely. Yeah, they are. Um, and the legend is just amazing. There'll be there'll be a lot of those in America still, but in England, there's only six um, legend coupes on the road. Is that um, just through, though, that was scarce originally? Or? Yeah, I think yeah. it was It was a lot of money new, and it was a, a bit of a curveball to buy in the first place. Yeah, because you know, I, I think most people went for smaller ones, didn't they, I think? Yeah. Um, and then... Another bit of Italian metal. We've got a an Alfa Romeo, an Alfa Romeo Spider Five. Oh, yeah. newish one. <laughs> that, that's yeah. yeah. And then uh, the crazy car, the daily, the, the the dog car, the child car. We have a a five litre V10 Volkswagen Touareg. What's yeah. your favourite out of all of those? If I could only keep one car, the warehouse is on fire. I would. <laughs> you've got keep to get one out. <laughs> courier van. Yeah. Why? Which is just because it means so much to me. Um, you know, a lot of sacrifices along the way. I've spent a lot of time and money on it, and the chances of getting another one are nil. I know that some of the cars on that list are unique, but they're almost too special to use, whereas I can actually take the van out and have some fun in it, and if you know, if I need to. The bar never burns down, because I'd never want to make that decision. In no, exactly, and they are, um, they are a bit of a thing. So you've never really dabbled amongst the Bonds and all their sort of offshoot vehicles? Oh, I've had a Bond in my time, a two-litre Bond. Yeah, I love a Bond. Yeah, they're, they're I can't quite make my mind up about them, really. Um, I went to the Basingstoke Festival of Transport, and there was quite a number of them there that day, and that's the most of them I've seen in one place, I think. 
So, yeah, interesting. Somebody described to me once that the Mark II, II well, the two-litre Bond was beautifully ugly. Yeah, that would be a good, I, yeah, it's a good show. I think that says it all. The Triumph Sports 6 Club Museum actually own the very first Bond off the production line. Have, tell us a little bit about the museum. So, as the club developed from, it started out in 1977 in some offices above a wine shop. The guys that were running the club at the time had a lot of foresight and as they were making money it got put away and they invested it into a building which is a sort of outbuildings and an old stable from a big house um, which is where we now have our head office uh, which is there's five full-time staff there all week but on site is probably the biggest Triumph Museum in the world t- solely dedicated to Triumph. I mean it's fantastic space um, but we've got about 14 cars in there that are the best examples of what you would expect to see. Um, so from the Bond, a lot of them are original cars. We've got a Mark II Spitfire. Um, we've got the most amazing GT6 Mark III, uh, a Vitas convertible that was made from brand new parts 30 years after they stopped making them. And what else have we got in there? There is a TR7. We own the four-door Herald prototype, the only one they ever made. Um, when they stopped making the Herald, all the production went out to India, where it turned into the standard Gazelle, and they started making four doors out there. But in England, they only actually made the one car, so that sits there. And then there's just memorabilia that you can't even begin to imagine. Well, is it fully open to the public? It's open to members at all times, all days, and members of the public can go round if it's pre-arranged. So just send an email or make a, a phone call and, yeah, you'll be more than welcome to go and have a look round, but it's not physically open to the public all the time. So if there was any of our listeners from the States over at any time, if they gave a, dropped an email beforehand or before they come over on their trip, they could take a look? They would be more than welcome. Because yeah. there's a big triumph following in the States, isn't there? There is. Of which we have met quite a few recently. When we've been doing um, continental tours and things, there's a great bunch of guys called uh, Team Torpedo who are a crazy bunch of guys from all across the States who decided that they all wanted to come over to Europe and do some driving, decided that it was better to go to Europe than England because it was the same side of the road driving. And, uh, you know, they all, I think they all saved up for two years, putting money into a pot, and then came over and bought five cars, and off they went doing 2,500 miles around Europe in four days. Did they buy the cars here or in Europe? They bought them off eBay in, in England. That's interesting. And four of the five they shouldn't have bought. <laughs> if you know what I'm saying. Yeah, yeah. Um, but I think most of them, well, three of them, have been exported back to the, the States. I know a, a Triumph 2000 and uh, a Dolomite Sprint definitely went. Now, that's a car you don't see much of now. Have you, have you got one of those in the museum? The we Sprint? haven't, no. We, we have one that we borrow that's a member's. Uh, we, uh, the, the problem with the museum is it becomes very static if you're not careful. Yeah. So every year we, well, probably every six months really, we take cars out and uh, swap them, and sometimes we have members' cars, sometimes we have our own in there. So this year, we've just changed the display this week because it's the 50th anniversary of the GT6. Okay, uh, do you want to hear a funny story about that? When yeah. I was a young motor mechanic years ago, I deli- went out with a girl, and I only went out with her because she had a GT6. Top and up. the head gasket blew, and I ended up doing the head gasket on it for my sins. <laughs> so that will teach me. Because you're right. That will teach me, that will. But oh, with the museum, do you ever get any... Um, any interest from like local schools or anything like that wanting to have a look round or anything like that absolutely we do tours we have 
things like the Lions Club and things like that come round of an evening. Um, you know, it, it is accessible to anybody. If you, if you just let us know you want to come and have a look. We had the Austin Healy Club round last year. It's a great place to see. It's just, it's manning it all the time. That's the problem. The, um, my show goes out every few weeks in, in conjunction with the American shows. And the guys that present the other show, one of the guys is an AACA board member and the other guy's very experienced in the classic car world. And their big thing at the minute is to, you know, have a grandchild be taken to a car show by their granddad and stuff like that to try and, yeah get over this sort of greying of the hobby thing yeah and um, they're very keen on that sort of stuff so they'll be pleased to hear that it's um it's really important i think in terms of just keeping things going because I, I can't get any of my nephews and stuff interested in it at the moment i'm trying but it's um, well yeah. i work with a lot of young people and they are just gobsmacked at what i arrive at work in what the hell is that because they all drive basic square boxes and all they wait is for a light to come on. That's yeah, true. oh, it needs fuel, oh, it needs oil, oh, yeah. it needs air in the tyre. We're going to take a break and we'll be right back on the Classic Car Show after these messages. Hi, this is Steve Ronaldo, host of the Classic Car Show on America's Web Radio. Uh, just talking to you about anti-car insurance. I think that uh, if you're looking for the best coverage for your classic car, consider J.C. Taylor Insurance. They've been our my insurer for years in this hobby and have the top rating of every, all of the insurance companies in the hobby. When you get ready for insurance, call J.C. Taylor or visit jctaylor.com on the Internet. When four members of Congress all die within four months, each of their deaths appears to be from natural causes. But when mysterious messages begin to appear in the form of quotations from long-dead revolutionary heroes, one reporter sets out to prove the existence of a serial killer. His search discovers dark secrets and an assassin shielded by people who need the very services that only he can provide. The Sun Silas Rising, a novel by Doug Dahlgren. On Kindle or paperback through Amazon.com. It's that time of year again. If you suffer from itchy eyes, sneezing, a constant runny nose, sinus headaches, or an increase in asthma symptoms, and you're tired of using allergy medicine, maybe it's time to stop putting a Band-Aid on the problem. Peachtree ENT Center believes in treating the problem instead of masking the symptom. We are pleased to offer an innovative alternative that can free you from this routine. Sublingual immunotherapy is a safe, easy, and effective way to treat allergies to food and environmental allergens for you and your family. Imagine placing drops under your tongue to treat allergies. No shots, no office visits with time off from work, and freedom from needing daily allergy medication. Just think, next year, you can actually enjoy being outdoors. About an hour of your time is all it takes to change the quality of your life. Remember... Peace Street ENT Center is where patient care counts. You're listening to AmericasWebRadio.com, the pioneer and leader in chat radio. Thank you for listening. Welcome back. This is Kevin Flood on the Classic Car Show for America's Web Radio, and today's guest is Chris Gunby of the Triumph Sports Six Club. But they actually have no idea about anything, really, which is quite a worry. Especially if you're going to flip the bonnet up and adjust the carb or something like that. And they're like, ooh, don't you need to plug something in there to do that? Well, most people, <laughs> I wouldn't think, wouldn't even know where the bonnet switch was. Well, that's true. No, that's true. It is, it is pretty bad, I must admit. It's having, you know, I'm in IT now, but having spent, you know, five years at college going through, a, you know, a proper apprenticeship and 
all the exams and all the rest of it it's kind of sad to see it now where yep. there's nobody really interested in it and those who are are just kind of bolting parts on very badly most of the time yeah um, it is a shame it's becoming a bit of a bit of a loss of art i'm afraid but um talking of your car collection what about buyer's remorse have you ever bought one that you thought oh my god what have i done here and it's a basket case love well, is blind buyer's as remorse, they say yeah. <laughs> buyer's remorse has to be the hatchback i knew it was a, a unique car i knew it was a factory mule i knew it had been made in italy by michelotti himself um I wasn't quite prepared for how much time and expense it cost and took to get it back to where it was. It is, you know, one of the prime joys in my collection, but uh, on hindsight, I don't know if I'd do it again. But I guess it's worth it because it is such a unique thing, isn't it? Absolutely. I could have bought some very nice cars, several very nice cars for what it cost to get it all sorted. Um, but that's where you live and learn, isn't it? I've done it, it is, now, I've yeah. saved it. I would imagine and you've had some offers for it as well. Absolutely. And, you know, I hopefully it'll never have to leave my side, but uh, you just never know, do you? No, exactly. But it's just that it must be great satisfaction for you to think that uh, that, is, that had gone, that had disappeared, basically, and you brought it back. Absolutely. And I think that's the... And the van as well, because the vans yeah. you just don't see anymore either. So I think um, it was you know. fantastic for the previous owner who'd owned it for 30 years and was never in a position to get it to where it wanted to be. I mean, if you want to go and have a look on YouTube, when you, as, as you've just seen, when it was being uh, launched at the 2009 um, Herald 50th birthday party, the guy who gave it to me was there and literally, you know, he had tears in his eyes. He couldn't yeah. believe what it was, really. Did you have did you have a have a, a job levering it away from the bloke who owned it, or had he held his hands up and said, "Look, I can't do it"? Or? No, he it just sat in the garden really, and nobody he knew he'd got it. Nobody knew he'd got it. Eventually, I found someone who knew him, and I rang him up uh, just completely out of the blue and said, "Can I come and have a look?" And so, interestingly, in the week he'd done his homework, he knew what I did and w- what I was about, and. Uh, we walked down the garden, and there was a, a garage at the bottom of the garden with the door up, and I thought, oh, that looks a funny shape, Harold. And uh, we got to the bottom of the garden, and it was a Volvo, a Volvo Amazon. So I'm standing at the bottom of this garden thinking, well, where's the car? And he said, oh, careful, mate, you're nearly standing on it. It was it was that far down into the ground. Um, so, yeah, when I say I picked it up, I literally picked it up with my hands and put it in the back of a pickup truck we didn't have a trailer everything was just completely gone we managed to save the roof and all the unique bits but uh, the original car was way beyond you know what was viable really did you use a donor car or something to get it back or did you yeah um, because yeah. it was just based on, an, on, a, on a basic 1200 that was pulled off the line we bought another car and stripped that rebuilt all that and then put all the special bits on from there oh, i think it's a, definitely a worthy a worthy thing to do for sure it's as you say though maybe you wouldn't do it again <laughs> <laughs> but, but you uh, never learn you do. no you do i mean money are we what about um seller's remorse then the one that got away how about that one that you wish the you seller's... hadn't sold it yeah the seller's remorse really was was probably my first herald that i ever bought uh, a green 1250 i sold it to buy the vitesse and i said to the guy if you ever sell the car let me know you know Hopefully things will be a bit better in a couple of years. And about three years later, I was just driving home from signing for my first house, first big mortgage, and pulled up outside the house, and there he was, sitting there saying, oh, 
I was thinking about selling the car. So obviously that never happened because uh, I was in debt with my mortgage at that point. And then it's now disappeared. No one's ever seen it again. Yeah, that's a shame, isn't it? We so think it's gone up to, to heaven. That's the trouble. I mean, I, I've kind of tried to trace a few of my old cars and sadly in this country they do tend to disappear. We're not lucky enough to have sort of California climate and no. things like that really, but... Well, all right, I'm um, get back to the club now. It's been a really interesting uh, trip through the car collection. You've got some rarities there. You really have. That's actually amazing. So, well, can you give us a... 28 years. Sorry. Oh, no. okay. Can you give us a little bit of a history of the, the club itself? Absolutely. The, the Transport 6 Club was formed in 1977 to make sure that the Triumph movement moved forward. There was one factory car club, Club Triumph, which is still in existence, who do a great job at what they do, but it was felt that, you know, there was need for another car club. So it's just grown and grown and grown, really. We're now up to about 5,500 members, having been peaking probably in the mid-90s, at about 11,000 would be our peak membership, I would say. As, obviously, years have gone by, cars have got less, I think the biggest problem is I don't know anybody that's got one car. Yeah. Obviously, when you go through a list like mine, there's probably there's lots of people that have got as many cars as I have, but that's only one membership for the club, isn't it? Yeah, and you you kind of got ten or twelve cars maybe between two members. Yeah, yeah. but um, I think the the main thing or the best thing about the club is is obviously the camaraderie and the membership. Really, we have fifth, we've got fifty three local areas that meet once a month, um, and that's where people go down and, and obviously have a social which is what it's all about really we, we put lots of events on throughout the year for people but at, at, the, at a grassroots level it's about being able to go down and ask your friends oh, i've got a problem with this problem with that how do we get it sorted out yeah i noticed um what what do your events cover i noticed you've got all manner of events from you know sort of just local meetups to sporting events and um the tribe yeah. fest thing i noticed yeah so well, really, we have, so starting locally, each area goes to its things it goes to. So they could be local car shows, show and shines, pub meetings, whatever. Um, they're all organised by the local areas. And then as a club, we have official things that we do. So our, our first big event of the year is Leatherhead, the South of England meet, which is normally first or second weekend of may so that's down not far from london where obviously members come and they come from quite far and wide that's a very long-standing show and then slightly further north we have triumph fest which is our international event which people come from all over the world has been at the stafford showground for a long long time the last two years we've had it at donnington racetrack and 2016, we're moving to Santa Pod. What does that one consist of? So that is our big event. If anybody's going to go to an event, that's the one we want them to go to, really. So this year, Santa Pod, for the listeners in it, is Britain's biggest drag strip. So we'll be able to take the Triumphs down the drag strip. Um, camping weekend, uh, people can stay over in hotels if they want to. Really big social. It's our biggest concourse of the year. To win at Triumph Fest is you are the best car in the country that year and is that open to members or anybody that is open to anyone get a better entry rate if you're a member it has to be some benefit okay. um, but no santa pod is open to anyone and you know everybody's more than welcome it is the 2nd and 3rd of july 2016 we've never been there before 
that we've been invited to attend, which is nice that people want us to own with their show. Santa Pod also do a show called The Retro Show, which covers a wider range of classic cars, and we're sort of tagging on to the side of that. So there's going to be lots of cars. Apparently, they get 50,000 people through the door. Do you, do you organise members' trips and travel stuff and things like that? Yes, yeah, so our, our biggie is on this year. We go to Le Mans every two years to the classic so that's the 8th to the 10th of july we as a club hire the tete rouge campsite which for anybody that's been to le mans which is like going to mecca really um from the dunlop bridge through the s's down to the Mulsanne strait on the left hand side we have all of that as a campsite so we take roughly a thousand people is that um i guess how many cars would that be a couple of two 250 cars or something like that nigh on 400 by the time we get there so you do get some some of your members from europe joining in joining in oh absolutely people come from far and wide yeah we get a lot of european members coming up but we put great hospitality on we have the best bar in the world it's open 20 hours a day and it's just a very very social event and works very well for us Oh, I can imagine. Do you ever get any um, of our uh, colonial cousins over there from the States? Absolutely, yeah. Well, like I said to you before, you know, um, Le Mans is, is mecca, isn't it? it Everybody's is. heard of Le Mans. And the Le Mans classic always amazes me that these guys are driving 1920s, 1940s, 1950s cars, and they race them as hard as they can. Yeah, that's one That's one of the things that is all, it always amuses my um, fellow presenters on this show, that the Brits are quite happy to fly around in a £1 million pound car around goodwood and smack it into straw bales and things like yeah. that I kind of think we're a little bit mad as far as that goes but they're made to be driven i think so. yeah i think there's a bit of both there isn't there but yeah. just to see a 1920s bentley blower going sideways around the s's is is pretty special really my father last two years ago who's not really into cars that much um, we were driving down and these guys were overtaking us with their leather jackets on and their flying helmets and you know great big four foot steering wheels and he said what are they doing and i just said they're living the dream dad they're driving their car to le mans you know there is no better place to go really so yeah if we get anybody stateside come over it's just the most amazing event you'll ever go to. yeah i mean the, the whole idea of me doing these interviews really was to get a flavor of the uk classic car scene for those guys over there and it's um yeah it's proven to be quite successful because they, they're, they're certainly interested and there's quite a few wanting to come over to various events so yeah good that sounds like one for the sure the other one we go to is spa spa francochamp in yep. belgium which is the spa classic which is similar to the Le Mans one, but not quite as big. That's a completely different circuit because that's in the middle of a wood, but that's another great event that we go to. It's got um, the um, Formula One cachet there as well, hasn't it? That's the... Absolutely. But, of course, the great thing about it is, being a classic and it, it's the classic weekend, you actually are allowed to drive around the track at certain points in your own car. Yeah, that's the, that's the real value, isn't it? Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, Le Mans is amazing and, and Spa is amazing in, a, in another way, you know, I think it's a 13-mile lap for Spa and about 14 miles for Le Mans. It's uh, just a really special moment to say that you've driven your car around the track. Well, you can take a different one each year, then. Uh, well, <laughs> as sad as it is, because I'm on the organising team, I actually end up driving a Mercedes-Benz refrigerated van there to keep all the beer cold. Uh, well, yeah, no, that's important. That, that's a sacrifice I make. <laughs> yeah, that's it. You know, somebody's got somebody's got to do it. It's a dirty job and all that sort Absolutely. of stuff. Absolutely. And then but, we've got a new one coming on this year. We're doing something called the Five Point Tour, 
which is my own little baby that I've wanted to do for quite a few years, which is trying to do the five points of England. So that's starting in April. In England, well, in the UK, we have Drive It Day weekend. So we thought we would do it on Drive It weekend and get as many members out as we can. So our basis is we are starting at the Bull's Head in Meriden, which is near Coventry, which is just down the road from where all the triumphs were made. And that is the centre point of England. Not the UK, just purely England. We're going to take a break and we'll be right back on the classic car show after these messages. The disease of addiction is a life-altering challenge, not just for the person suffering its effects, but also for the family and friends who support and love the one caught in its grasp. What should be the course of treatment? Who is the best person to render treatment? And what is the best place to go for the care that is needed? We know that you want answers to these and many more questions. Call 770-696-9862 and speak to a representative of the Atlanta Healing Center. They can tailor a program specifically designed to address the needs of the person suffering with an addiction or give you guidance as to where that help may be found. Information is the key and the trained staff at EHC is here to assist. If you wish, you can also get more information on the website located at www.AtlantaHealingCenter.com. Hi, this is Steve Ronaldo, host of the Classic Car Show on America's Web Radio. Uh, just talking to you about antique car insurance. I think that uh, if you're looking for the best coverage for your classic car, consider J.C. Taylor Insurance. They've been our my insurer for years in this hobby and have the top rating of every, all of the insurance companies in the hobby. When you get ready for insurance, call J.C. Taylor or visit jctaylor.com on the Internet. You're listening to AmericasWebRadio.com, the pioneer and leader in chat radio. Thank you for listening. Welcome back. This is Kevin Flood on the Classic Car Show for America's Web Radio, and today's guest is Chris Gunby of the Triumph Sports 6 Club. And then from there, we're driving up to Berwick-upon-Tweed, which we should be there roughly for midnight. Uh, that's the most northerly point. And then we're turning round and driving down to Lowestoft Ness in Suffolk for approximately 8 o'clock in the morning. That's the most easterly. And then we'll drive across the country down to the Lizard in Cornwall for hopefully 7, 8 o'clock of an evening. That's our most southerly point. Then we're going to have a hotel stopover for the night. And then Sunday morning... We'll be at Land's End, which is Drive It Day weekend. So we've got quite a few areas meeting us up at the start and halfway down the journey. And we're all going to end up back at head office at the museum in Lebanon in Leicestershire. Oh, brilliant. That's, um, that's going to be some uh, some feat to get round there. You can have a, um, plenty of tools and bits and pieces. Well, hopefully, yeah, well, there we go. But it's a 1,500-mile trip. Yeah, no, that is. In, that's interesting. In is, that something so, you, is that something you've wanted to do? for a while well i do the round britain reliability run with club triumph every two years which is london john o'groats land's end back to london in 48 hours which is about 2200 miles just the most <laughs> amazing thing there's about 150 triumphs do that um, so we thought it'd be nice to do something a little bit softer for people to see if they enjoyed it and then if they do they can go and do the big one yeah, that's great. It's a kind of introduction to the to the you yeah. know real hardcore one. Yeah, but uh, it's just amazing that the cars will still do it. 
How um, how much cross pollination do you have with the other clubs? Then do you kind of it, turn up at the same meets and things like that? Or well, on a local level, yes, we do. On a national level, that's getting better, mm. and that's one of my big things uh, since I've become chairman is to try and get more of the big clubs to do more together. Yeah, because I mean, there's we, always good good in economies of scale is always good, isn't it? Yeah, but also to go to an event to see a field or whatever, a track full of cars, is far more interesting and far more cost-effective for the clubs uh, to do. You know, if you go to the Stag Owners Club, it's obviously going to be full of stags, whereas if you go to a Triumph Day, there's going to be lots of things there. So sure. um, that's, that's my main sort of thing I'm on at the moment, trying to get everybody to work closer together. Yeah, I'd wondered about that because because there are a number of Triumph clubs, but they've got their own niches though as well, which is which is good, you know. And I think it's good to have your own niche basically because then you can be more specialised in your own particular vehicle or type of vehicle. But then at least if you like you say if you've got a large show, it's nicer to look at a whole field of different Triumphs than just a half a field of Stags or something yeah. like that, you know. And I think that's that's certainly good. Um, I noticed you've got a shop on the website, which you're, you've got um, some parts on there. Is that something you might expand out on a bit more? Or have Rimmers and Mick Dolphin and everyone else got that covered pretty well? Yeah, we, what we try to do is try to not tread on too many people in the trades uh, feet because obviously they're making a living out of it and they do a great job and look after us. So mm, we try is. and do the things that they're not covering so much. But the ethos of the shop is not really to do it the cheapest. We try to do it the best. So we're trying to buy the best stuff that we can get hold of. Um, yeah. but there's lots of stuff out there that's been made badly. There is. Uh, a good friend of mine has a convertible for his wife, a Herald Convert 3060 convertible, and he bought a steering rack, which I believe was made in Argentina or somewhere, and it absolutely. doesn't fit at all. So, so yeah. That's I exactly that. what we're trying to not do. Um, you know, we're trying to... Everything's... We have a guy who runs the shop full-time. His name's Garth. He's a really nice guy. Very, very knowledgeable. Um, if anybody ever needs any help, you know, he's on the end of the phone. But that's his whole, sole sort of purpose, really, to, to get the best quality of stuff that we can get hold of. Yeah, and then the sort of bulk stuff, I guess, is Canley Classics and yeah. Rimmers um, and those sort of people, I guess. Rimmers, Canley Classics, Manvers, all people like that, fantastic. TD Fidgets, the same. Um, and then you've obviously got the smaller people that, that go into the, the more unusual marks. Mick Dolphin only does new old stock. I, I've used Mick quite a bit, and he's, he yeah. usually comes up with the bit that I'm after. He's a top bloke, isn't he? <laughs> he is indeed. Oh, he is indeed. He's but, of course, the, the websites and the internet have just changed the way we buy our parts. It's certainly a viable market still. Um, yeah. But it's very good. I noticed you do some, some other bits and pieces as membership benefits, like insurance and all the usual kind of stuff that you do as well with Footman Jones. Yeah, I mean, the, the insurance is a big thing for people. Uh, we have a panel of five that we select to be the best that we think but I think the most important thing that we do as a club for insurance is something called agreed value insurance so obviously as a club people bring their car down to head office or they send pictures in and one of the officials will actually put a proper valuation on it uh, and then if anything happens to it if it's stolen or written off you actually get what's on that piece of paper there's no insurance assessor comes out and starts arguing the toss you know, you are going to get what's on that piece of paper. 
Yeah, and I, and I think that that's, that's key, particularly with classic cars, because they will come out and try and fob you off with a couple of hundred quid or give you it back or... You know, Absolutely. Whatever you, whatever they can get away with, I think, and it's the the agreed value thing. I think is very important, and I think that's that's how a lot of the people in the states, like your Haggertys and um, various others, have, have kind of scored a little bit. And I think they're they're moving into the market over here a little bit like that as well. Which I think it, they, there has been room for it a bit. Um, there's been a few here, but I think it's it's woken up a few of the local people here too as well in terms of what people need. So I think, that's, I think that's very good. Um, what have you got? Do you think future plans for the club in in sort of a on a grander scale? Have you got anything kind of big coming up that you, you're thinking of or you'd like to do? Or well, my say my mantle is to try and get everybody to work together better. Um, sadly, obviously, every car that gets broken it has gone, hasn't it? It's gone forever. Yeah, it is. So there are cars that there are less cars now than there's ever been. Um, cars that get rebuilt get rebuilt to such a level that a lot of people don't use them as much as they should do so there's lots of beautiful cars sitting in garages and then things don't wear out which is not good for the trade so you know i see that the whole classic car market and the triumph movement is going to get slightly smaller i think we're managing the club down to another level not now and not in 10 years time but you know definitely down the line uh as, as a club ourselves, we're in a, a nice position, which is a lovely thing to say. Um, our biggest problem is, is age, with, as with most people. We've got to get younger people involved and want them to be involved. Yeah, I was going to... My sort of final point, really, was on that, is the, the future of the, the hobby here. Um, I, I think we seem to be in a little bit better shape than the States whilst they've got a huge classic car movement and there's a lot more hands-on kind of classic car stuff over there because of the size of the country. I think there's a lot more of it, but in terms of the way it's shrinking down, um, I think they, they call it the graying of the hobby over there. Yeah. And, um, it, it certainly is a here. I, I do see more younger people. I think, um, in the hobby a little bit more and we've got quite a healthy set of magazines and bits and pieces like that i think yeah. um so, so that kind of looks good so but i know what you mean it, it's it's difficult to get anybody really much sort of under 40 involved in it now i think yeah um and that's um that's a thing and, I, and i'm glad to hear that you do have schools come round, or you know anybody who wants to come around younger to come and look at things and and do that kind of stuff and it's and I, I think particularly at car shows i think that's where that's where it needs to score and i and i think some shows are missing a trip by not offering like free entry for kids or or something like absolutely. that i think so absolutely but, well without them you're doomed aren't you because as everybody goes out the top there's nothing being filled at the bottom yeah i mean what, what's your demographic at the minute do you think as a of, club yeah i would say majority are from 40 to 70 we do have quite a lot of people in their 20s and 30s um classic car insurance kicks in in the uk at 25 to be very reasonable so that seems to be almost a catalyst we do struggle as a club to get uh younger members insured reasonably that's you know that's something else that we're always trying to work with but insurance companies are there to make money aren't they they are yeah sadly uh, no matter what we do they always come up with an answer so that's something that we're always working against but i would say our biggest demographic is from 40 to 70 mm. 
Yeah, it seems to be the norm now, doesn't it? Yeah, um, in terms of things, and it's and the trouble is as well. Once people get sixties and past, they then not, are not so keen to work on them anymore. Yeah, um, and I think that's the other thing, and I think that's where uh, we're lucky. I think there are quite a number of um, people now that perhaps were in the normal motor trade, and now things are becoming a bit too computerised. They're turning their hands to the classics, which for them was a normal repair years ago. And Absolutely. I think it seems to be a bit more of that popping up now, which is actually good uh, in terms of the hobby, I think. so. Yeah, it's. I mean, it's very noticeable, the values of... I'm only speaking for Triumphs at the moment, because obviously that's what I'm into. But they're going through the roof, um, and once they become more valuable, I'm not sure that's a good thing, because people then don't take them out so much, but once something's worth a little bit more, it's actually worth spending some money on. Yeah, it is. I mean, uh, my Herald, for instance, I bought that oh god, ten years ago, probably for fifteen hundred quid. Yeah, um, and it's a it's a it's a reasonable driver. It had a bit of a body off restore and stuff like that, but it needs the interior tidying up and things like that. But it's a really great driver. It's fun to drive. It looks good enough. Uh, it's a ten footer, if you like. But yeah. it's but it's great to drive. And I don't worry too much about parking it places and things like that, you know. I just flip the bonnet up and got one of them green things on the battery terminal, so you know yeah. nobody would have to work out how to nick it anyway, probably. But it, it's just that, and I think as you correctly say, once you start getting into the near concourse and scared to park it in a car park type thing, then it, it, it kind of sits in a garage and, and doesn't wear out and all that stuff, and then you're you're diminishing returns, aren't you? Absolutely. So, yeah. But I think on the positive side, it looks like you're doing a great job at the club there. So uh, and I'd like to say Thank thanks you to you for your time. Um, it's been brilliant. And, uh, no problem. I'll say goodbye. And thanks very much, Chris. Thank you very much. Thanks a lot. That's great. Nice to speak to you. Thanks to Chris for a great interview. If you want to see more about the Triumph Speed 6 Club, the website is tssc.org.uk. There'll be more interviews coming from the UK classic car scene soon. And during 2016, I'll try and cover as many interesting topics as I can. But if there's anything in particular you'd like to hear from the UK classic car scene, please drop me an email at kpjflood at gmail.com or contact America's Web Radio, the classic car show. We'll try and fit everything in that you ask for. I can't promise, but we'll try. So for now, it's goodbye from the UK. My name's Kevin Flood and I'm signing off from the UK for the Classic Car Show on America's Web Radio. Goodbye. This is America's Webradio.com, the best in chat radio designed just for you.